You know that awkward moment when your Gentile neighbor or that staffer at the airport asks you why you're carrying around a palm tree and a lemon and you're not really sure what to answer? Or that awkward moment when you shake that same palm tree and lemon with religious enthusiasm but you're still not really sure why you're doing it? And how about that awkward moment when you're marching around the shul with that palm tree and lemon and chanting things because everyone else is doing it? but no one there can really explain why in fact they're doing it. So I want to try to break the awkward silence right now. See, when it comes to Sukkot or Chag HaSukkot, it's very easy to explain the mitzvah of Sukkah, the Sukkah that we sit in. The Torah is pretty clear about the reason for it, what we're commemorating, what we're trying to accomplish by sitting in the Sukkah, whether it's to remember literal huts that we sat in when Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, or perhaps the Anane HaKavod, the clouds of glory. There is an explanation that's readily available, and it's pretty explicit in the Torah once again. And we can go on talking about the symbolism, what it represents, and what lessons we can learn from it. But then, on the other side of Sukkot, we have what looks like per, perhaps the strangest ritual that we perform all year round with the Dalminim or the Arbaminim, the Lulav and the Esrog, and the Hadassim and the Aravos. Or if you want to go with their biblical name, the Priates Hadar, the Kampos Tamarim, the Anaf Eitz Avos, and the Arve Nachal, however you want to call them, is just very, very strange. Why, in fact, do we pick them up and shake them in all sorts of directions. Why shake them at all? And then we have this ritual called Hoshanas. So what exactly are Hoshanas? Okay, I get it. We pick up the Lulav and the Esrog and we march around the shul. That's what we're doing. But the innocent gotcha question is why in fact we're doing it. And there seems to be a mystery here. It's, it's one of the hardest things for us to explain, whether to our kids or to our students or even to ourselves or just, the, you know, the innocent onlooker, Jewish or not Jewish, honestly. And I know there are plenty of explanations provided by the Midrashim, whether the Dalad Minim represent different parts of the body or different kinds of Jews, and... I don't dismiss any of those explanations. There's a basis and tradition for them. There's plenty to learn from them. There are a lot of lessons, and they, they are all MS. But usually, the Midrashic answer is not the first answer we fall upon. It's usually a, it's usually a suggestion that complements and builds on the Pashup shot. And it's that Pashup shot that I think most of us lack. Right? A lot of us can talk about the symbolism of you know, what they represent, but just basic, you know, baseline pshat, what are we trying to accomplish by holding these things? Why does the Chumash tell us to pick these things up, to take them, and to rejoice before Hashem? What exactly does that even mean? What are we trying to accomplish with the Dalad Minim? Right? So in this new, I can call it a series, but it's really one part, but in this sheer which we've titled Hoshana Panorama, I want to try to explain 
these very innocent questions and hopefully answer them. I guess we've explained them plenty, but to try to address these questions, what exactly is the meaning of the four minim? And what exactly are Hoshanas? And as we think about that, so we have not just the Hoshanas, but we have apparently Hoshana Rabbah, which is like the uh, the Hoshana extravaganza or the great Hoshana, right? Instead of just circling the the Torah and the Bima or the Mizbeach, one time we make seven circuits of chanting and we have shofar blasts according to some variations of the Minhag. So in order to understand what Hoshana Rabbah is about, we also have to understand just the basic, what are the Hoshanas about? And then we have to try to also understand the apparent connection to Simchas Torah, which is not a biblical holiday. It's a Gaonic holiday. It was instituted in the times of the Gaonim. And Simchas Torah is very easy to understand what we're celebrating, right, based on our cycle of the Kriyasa Torah, which wasn't always the way it is today. But the way it is today is that um, around the time of Sukkot, or really the end of Sukkot, um, 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 the, the time that we finish reading the Torah coincides with Shemini Atzeres. That's when we finish, and we're celebrating the Siyum, the conclusion of the Torah reading. So what we are celebrating is very clear. But what's not clear is how this apparently connects to the Hoshanos, because there's no hiding the fact that the seven hakafos with the Torah resembles the hakafos that we that we engage in when we do Hoshanas. It's clearly building one on the other. And if that's the case, what does this Gaonic holiday, which was instituted at the time of Shemini Atzeres, at the conclusion of Sukkot, so what does that have to do with what we're trying to accomplish with the Hoshanos. How are, how are those things connected? How is any of this connected to Sukkot at large? The, the larger meaning of Sukkot, we think about what Sukkot is. So why do we have, coinciding with Sukkot, this apparent ritual that revolves around the Dalad Minim and the marching around with the Dalad Minim and the shaking around of the Dalad Minim and all of the things that we do with these, with these plants and this fruit like, well, what are we trying to accomplish? So, what exactly is all of this about? And hopefully, in this particular share, we will address another basic question that when we do the Hoshanos, right, each, each round of Hoshanos apparently um, has different things that we chant, right? The refrain is Hoshana, right, or Hoshana, which literally means save now, but save us from what exactly? So that we'll have to address, but also each particular day that we recite Hoshanos, there's a different kind of a prayer that we chant. Each one has its own apparent theme. So what we'll try to address here is what are the different themes that we, that we discuss or pray about in each of these uh, Hoshanos, whatever Hoshanos exactly are. So let's, let's try to jump right into it. So when we talk about the the um the hoshanos so what exactly are hoshanos like the plural of of hoshana so we said hoshana literally means 
save now or bring salvation now or bring salvation please, right? No, sometimes it's translated as please, sometimes it's translated as now. And it could, it probably means both here. But when we say the Hoshanos, so in a similar sense, we, just like we find by Rosh Hashanah Davening, the Malchios, Zichronos, and Shofaros, right? When, we'll, when we say kingships, or chauffeurs, or remembrances, or memories. What we really mean is verses of kingdom, or verses of kingship, right? Malchios refers to different verses that we say in our davening that pertain to the theme of kingship. And the same thing for chauffeurs and, and zichronos, right? It's not about multiple memories, but it's about multiple verses of, of that, that describe or talk about memory, about, about a zichronos. And the same thing for Shofaros. So when it comes to Hoshanos, what it really means is recitations of prayers about salvation. Right? And the truth is that the Gemara refers to the set of the Lulav as a Hoshana, um, based on you know, the, 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 the practice. But we, we have to try to figure out where exactly the, the practice of Hoshanos came from. Right? The way we do it, apparently, it's a Zecher. It's a commemoration of something that was done in the Mikdash. Right, the, they they would circle the mizbeach. It's um, it's uh, it seems to be a machlokus from the Gemara. Did they circle the mizbeach carrying a full set of lulav, right, the lulav hadasim and the aravos, um, and perhaps the esrog too, or was it just the aravos? But whatever it was, they would circle around, and that apparently had to come from somewhere. So what we do today in the shul is apparently in commemoration of that. But what was that? And again, what, ex- what exactly are we trying to do with the Dalad Minim? You want to tell me again, there are you know, different kinds of Jews. Okay, fine. I, you know, um, I, I mentioned that already. I, I, I get that. Different body parts. Right? But before, you know, you know, b- before we get there, like, just Pashup Shah, what, what are we trying to accomplish? So uh, the other theme of Sukkot, um, the less spoken about theme, is the Chag HaAsif theme, right? We, ha- we, we know what the sukkah represents. It might represent simplicity, you know, the sacrificing of luxuries a little bit, having a little bit more faith and trust in Hashem. That's the sukkah. And perhaps some of those themes are relevant and brought out by the Dalminim as well. But before we get to that, let's try to just look at the Dalminim as they are. Now, the Dalminim um, are apparently part of the theme of Chag HaAsif, which literally means the festival of ingathering. Now, ingathering of what? So it's, it's also sometimes referred to as the holiday of the harvest, but it's not really about the harvest. It's about the ingathering of the harvest. Uh, the things that were... You know, so in, in this case, we're talking about uh, mainly fruits and different kinds of plants, seemingly the ones that are rain-dependent. And this is where we get to the basic meaning of the Dalad Minim, because... The Dalan Minim, they, they do represent species that come from Eretz Yisrael, and they are the basic species that are very much water-dependent. Now, lest you think that these are just, um, that they are just basic species that don't have any further meaning, Sir Rav Hirsch dispels that really quickly, because if we would just pick any old species, we should pick the seven Minim, Right, the Zion Minim for which Eretz Yisrael is praised, Chita, Saora, Gefet, Teina, Rimon, Eretz Zeis, Shaman, Devash, all of those things. The only thing that we have from those seven is, is the date palm, the Lulav. And if we, you know, if we would just pick any old 
species, we should pick the Zion mean. And the fact that we don't, says Rav Hirsch, tells us that there's something more to these particular four. And then we can talk about the Midrashic explanation of them, right? That apparently there is some kind of a Midrashic explanation in order to explain these, these, um, these minim, these four minim that we do take. And Rav Hirsch talks about how um, pre-Eitz Hadar is really the commentary on all the other plants that we take, that, um, that Lulav represents pre, um, the Arava represents Eitz, right? Because the, the Lulav um, it produces fruits, the arava is just a piece of wood. It's, it has nothing really to it. The hadasim are hadar. They're very pretty. And the esrog represents all of them together. There are different explanations of how the, 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 the dalad minim represent yudke vavke. The four represent the four letters of the name of Hashem. And some say that the, the esrog has some connection to the eight hadas. And we can go on and on about the different explanations. But the basic explanation is that these minim, which we are celebrating before Hashem with, they have some connection, apparently, to this concept of celebrating and also prayer when it comes to water and rain. The Gemara does tell us that Sukkot is the time that, we, that, we, that we're judged for rain. And the Hoshanos, in a certain sense, are part of that prayer. Now, it's not as explicit as a prayer for rain. It's a more broad prayer, right? Because we don't pray for rain on Sukkot. The Gemara already talks about this. Because if you would pray for rain on Sukkot, that would be premature. Rain during Sukkot is a sign of curse. And a big part of that is because you would not be able to sit in the Sukkot if it would be raining in the Sukkot. So we actually do the Tzfilas Geshem, right at the end, by Shemini Atzeres. That's the optimal time that we wanted to start raining. But up until that, we're just preparing for that. And the Hoshanos are part of that preparation. You could think of it as a rain dance, but not like an idolatrous rain dance, but like a religious, a monotheistic rain dance, the kind that Hashem likes, the kind that Hashem is instructing us to do. Now, in terms of the shaking of the Lulav and the Esrog, what exactly does that represent? So this is part of that rain dance, if we can call it that, but there's a little bit more to it. You see, we think of the shaking of the Lulav and Esrog as, you know, if, if I would ask you in Judaism, what do you shake? You would tell me, yeah, you shake a Lulav and Esrog. And we think of that as the model of mitzvah, of something that we would shake, if anything at all. And the truth is, if you go back to the Gemara and you look back to biblical times, there were things that were waved around and the Lulav and Esrog, it's not even explicit that you're supposed to do such a thing. Right? There's certain carbonus that they would wave. Right? We think of Sukkot as the time of waving things around. The truth is really on Shavuos. Shavuos is really more of a time of waving things, but we don't have those carbonus anymore. The carbonus that we would wave around. The Shtei HaLechem, for example, or the Carbon Omer on Pesach time. So there were carbonus that were waved around. And the carbonus that were waved around, there was a particular purpose for that. And the Gemara re- records two purposes for the shaking of those karbanos. And then, and this is the Gemara in Sukkah. And then in the Gemara in Sukkah, Rava says, oh yeah, and the same thing for the Lulav and the Esrog. Right? It just says, whatever we do by the karbanos, that which is biblically ordained to do for, for the karbanos. So Rava says, and he just like takes as an assumption that we do this for the Lulav and the Esrog as well. Right? The truth is that the first trace of anything that you would have to do that has to do with shaking Lulav and Esrog, the first time we find anything like that, it comes up in the Mishnah in Sukkah, 
And the Mishnah says that the shear, the minimum um, amount, the size um, that's required of a lulav and esrog, or really the, really the lulav, it depends on its shakeability. That it has to be four tfachim kedelin aneabo. It has to have a certain amount of tfachim so that you can shake it. Right, that's the first time we hear anything about shaking it. It's not in the Chumash. And Rabbah says, yeah, the, the reasons why we would shake it are the same reasons that we find by their Karbanos. And the Gemara does not even quote such as a Gzerah Shava to compare the two things. Um, not a Hekish, nothing. Rabbah just says, yeah, the, you know, the same thing that we find by those Karbanos, we find by the Lulav and the Esrog. So what, in fact, are those two reasons? So the two reasons that are cited... One is a little bit stranger than the other. We'll try to do our best to defend it and explain it. But it has to do with, apparently, these evil winds, these, this Ruach Ra, that apparently was very bad for the agriculture. And somehow the waving of the Lulav and the Asrog in all the different directions is supposed to somehow fend off the winds. Now, is this just black magic? I have to believe that it's not. I would say that perhaps it's a form of tefillah, but when we are bringing in, we are ingathering the harvest, the fruits that we've collected, right? And these are the main ones, um, apparently, that represent that which is um, dependent on rainwater. So when we collect these things from the harvest, so when we stand before Hashem, part of what we're doing is we are davening that for the coming year, that everything should work out for the agriculture, that we should have everything that we need. And so on the one hand... The you know the lulav and the esrog is a tefillah, and in the other explanation of lulav and esrog of why we why we would shake it based on the karbanos, the other explanation is something that we already know from Uncle Moishi, that Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere. We shake it in all the different directions as a, um, as an expression of understanding and appreciation of the fact that Hashem is guiding us from all directions, that Hashem is truly everywhere, and this sort of duality that we find in the Lulav and Esrog is actually um, it's supported by a machlokas of when in davening when we're supposed to shake the Lulav and Esrog and we, we, we do both but what's the, machl- the machlokas? do you shake the Lulav and Esrog during Hodu Lashem Kitov Kiliolam Chasto or do we do it by Ana Hashem Hoshiana right? both of these are in Halel is it when we are thanking Hashem for all the good that He's given us or is it when we are praying that Hashem should continue to do good for us and to save us? So the truth is, both of these suggestions are really based on a midrash that's cited by several mefarshim, and um, the, um, the, the earliest I've seen to quote it is a Tosvos in Sukkah. And the Tosvos quotes the Pasuk in Divrei Hayamim, which is very similar to a Pasuk in Tehillim that we say in Kabbalah's Shabbos. But the Pasuk in Divrei Hayamim says, uh, that the trees of the forest will sing and then will celebrate. And then in the same passage, um, it says in Divrei Hayamim, Hodu Lashem Kitav Kiliyom Chasto, or maybe it's Hodu Lashem Kirvishma, it says that you should thank Hashem. And then it says, Imru Hoshienu, and then the expression of asking Hashem for salvation. So we find a, a description of the trees of the forest celebrating, and then we find the expressions of thanking Hashem and asking Hashem for salvation. Right? We have the Hodul Hashem and the Ana Hashem Hoshiana. And so we find this duality 
that yes, the, the, the celebration of the trees of the forest, that's the shaking of the Lulav and the Esrog. And that comes in two parts. There's the thanking Hashem for what He has given us thus far. And then there's the praying to Hashem, asking, not, and that's not just thank you, Hashem, but it's please, Hashem, for all the things to come in the future. Both things are a recognition of Hashem being all around and being the constant provider for us. When we shake it in all the different directions, we are supposed to be thinking that Hashem is in all the different directions, constantly providing for us. And this duality actually also exists in the shofar, and the shofar is often compared to the lulav and esrog and halacha, the fact that on Shabbos we put all of them down, we don't hold any of them. But the shofar is a sign of celebration. We're celebrating and ushering in the king. It's also a sign of tefillah. It represents tefillah, that we're asking Hashem that he, that, that he should save us for the coming year. And when we get to Sukkot, Sukkot is really an extension of the Yamim Norayim, right? Even though the decree for this year was signed on Rosh Hashanah and it was sealed on Yom Kippur, but we know the concept of the good kvitel or the piska tova that we wish each other on Hoshana Rabbah, that the din, the gzera, is not delivered, it's not, it's not, it doesn't begin to be carried out until Hoshana Rabbah. And then there's some sfarim that, that extend that, that deadline to Hanukkah, which we're not going to talk about now. But the point is that the Hoshanos, in which we're asking Hashem for salvation, a very broad plea for salvation, which we're going to see culminates into a prayer for rainwater with Tfilas Geshem, but apparently it's an, it's an extension of the Amnorayim, where we want the Gzera, everything this year. So by you know the um, we we want to be saved from all natural dangers. And the first place is with our sustenance, with the things from um, you know the very simple things that grow from the ground and they grow on the trees. We want Hashem to provide us with our basic needs of water. That's why there was a Simchas Beis Shaweva which was celebrating the water drawing. It was done during the Nisochamayim, the water libation. So that, that explains the Tzvila Skeshem, it explains the, the, the celebration of water, and that's, that's really the beginning of Hoshanas, and it's really the beginning of the Dalad Minim. So we're starting to get um, a, a bit of an understanding, but how do we understand the marching around of the, you know, marching around the Mizbeach with the Hoshanas, or with the Dalad Minim, and then there's the the Hoshana extravaganza, right? The Hoshana Rabbah. And then we have Simchas Torah, which apparently continues the Hakafos. So again, just trying to stick to the Al Peep Shot explanation of all of this. So apparently this was something that was done in the Beis HaMikdash originally. But the tour brings down, and my older brother of Daniel um, was mechaving to this idea that um, the Hoshanas, they really, um, and really what was done um, in the Mikdash and what we do now, it resembles an even earlier story. Right? The tour quotes Meshem the Yerushalmi, that that which was done in the Mikdash, the marching around in circles, and then the blowing of the shofar. So all of this is connected to and resembles what was done by, um, at the beginning of Kibush Eretz Yisrael, the conquering of Eretz Yisrael, in the times of Yehoshua, when they were conquering Yericho, right? They circled the town and, or the city, and they circled it seven times. And at each circuit, each time they finished circling, they would blow the shofar, 
right? Many shuls have the minhag of blowing the shofar during Hoshana Rabbah in between the circuits. And what are they, what, what do we say? We say Hoshana. Now the word Hosha, which means to save, not only has the same shoresh of the name of Yehoshua, my brother points out, but the word Hosha is the same exact spelling as Yehoshua's original name, Hoshea. And this, um, so apparently what we're doing is meant to mimic that. Now, why would that be? So, um, you know, why would we, you know, hark back to Kiba Sharetz Yisrael at this particular time? So the idea is that if you think about the, uh, the, the, the whole thing about sevens, right, seven is a, is a significant number in Judaism for several different reasons. And, um, the, and part of the idea is that seven represents Hashem's control over this world. Right? When we have Kabbalah Satorah at the end of seven weeks, right there, you know, we circled the mountain, right? Um, but um, there it was seven in time, not seven in space. It wasn't seven in, you know, circling it with our bodies, but it was, it was, it was seven different weeks, right, before, you know, of, of Sefer Omer before we accepted the Torah. So when it came to that, so... Um, you might suggest, and I know that, that Rabbi David Foreman has a video series where he makes such a suggestion that the Kibosh Eretz Yisrael is really another form of that Kabbalah Satora situation, that whole scene where we are realizing at the end of the sevens that Hashem is the one that's in control of the natural world. And the supernatural world, of course, as well, right? When we get to number eight, that's the supernatural. But keeping it simple for now, Hashem's control over the natural world is something that we're supposed to experience at Kabbalah Satora and something that we're supposed to re-experience. And with Kibosh Eretz Yisrael, they had a, a miraculous first battle against Yericho, which would be the first of many battles, but not all of which would be won by supernatural means. As they are segueing and getting ready to transition into their natural life in Eretz Yisrael, leaving all the miracles, in fact, leaving the Ananiya Kavod, the, the, the comfort of Hashem's protection, which we celebrate on Sukkot, there's about to be a natural life where we will not be in the Sukkah anymore. And the question is, are we going to remember that Hashem's in charge even then? And throughout the long year, sometimes we get lost, sometimes we forget. And then what happens when we forget Kabbalah Satora, we commit something like the Chet Egel, Right? In Rosh Hashanah, the shofar of Rosh Hashanah is supposed to bring us back to Kabbalah Satora, And then Yom Kippur brings us back to the time that we got forgiven for the Chet Egel. And the Vilna Gon explains that when we committed the Chet Egel, the Ananiya Kavod, they left. And it was on Sukkot when they came back. And at that point, we were also building our own Sukkah, the Mishkan. Right, and so when we were building that, that that represented Hashem's Shechina coming back to us, and all of that's supposed to bring us back to our devotion, our dedication to the Torah, right? Which would also start to a little bit explain what we're celebrating on Simchas Torah, interestingly enough, because Yom Kippur was really the time that we got the Luchos again. Now, we barely talk about that on Yom Kippur because we're talking about atonement for our sins. So we never really celebrate the fact that we're getting new luchos. But how perfect and how timely it is that after Yom Kippur, when we build the Mishkan, or nowadays we build the Sukkah, what was the point of the Mishkan, the original Mishkan? The Ramban will tell you it's to recreate our Sinai, and the point is to find a place to house the second luchos, the new Torah. It's interesting also that on Simchas Torah, when we read 
the final passages of the Torah, Chazal tell us that the very last line in the Chumash, which talks about that which Moshe did with a strong hand before the eyes of the Bnei Israel, is a reference to the fact that he shattered the first Luchos, apparently making way for the second Luchos that they would eventually receive. Now, the shattering of the Luchos itself intrinsically doesn't seem like something to celebrate. But if you consider the fact that we are now getting the second Luchos, and now we have a house for that Luchos in our Sukkos, in our Mishkan, now we can celebrate that. Now we're celebrating natural life with a rededication to Hashem's Torah. So you might think of Simcha's Torah as the optimal time to celebrate the second Luchos, right, that we're going to review, and we're going to do it again, and this time we're going to do it better than we did it the first time. And so when we have these seven hakafos, right, resembling the kibush Eretz Yisrael, which is supposed to bring us back to Kabbalah Satora, which is not just a reminder of, of Hashem's control over the natural world, but the dedication that we have to have to Hashem for those things. The amun and bitachon that we're supposed to have for Hashem, that if we do properly serve Him and fulfill the Torah that He has given us, the Torah that we accepted, so long ago. If we continue to re-accept that Torah, that yes, all of our natural needs will be met. The rainwater, right, the agriculture, everything will be okay. So now things start to come together a little bit. And thus on Simchas Torah, we continue the Hakafos. But this time, it's not in desperate pleading for salvation, that everything this year should go well, but it's in celebration of our rededication. So it, it thus builds upon the other. So we celebrate with the Dalad Minim. We celebrate Hashem's control over the natural world. We celebrate before Hashem. And with that celebration, it's also an expression of faith. Okay, so now that we've gotten through that, we can try to also now explain what exactly we're trying to accomplish with each particular Hoshana. So we've already given the broader scheme of things. We have an understanding of what we're doing, what we're praying for. If you want to see you know, more sources on this, so you can look at where the tour talks about what the Hoshanas are meant to commemorate. That's in Orachayim, in Taf Resh Samach. So that's 660 in Orachayim. It quotes the Rishalm in Sukkah, which is in Dalid Gimel. Right, the fourth chapter and the third uh, Mishnah over there. But now let's talk about each of the individual Hoshanos. Okay, so there are really, for, for the week of Sukkot, there are seven, or really for Hoshana Rabbah, there are only seven rounds that we do, but there are a couple of rounds that appear on Chalamoid or on Shabbos that, that don't always necessarily appear in Hoshana Rabbah or, or not at all. So I'll get to those after. Let's first go to the original seven. The original seven, or I should say the final seven that we recite on Hoshan Rabbah itself. The first one is Lama'an Amitach, right, for the sake of your truth. Now, this phrase might be familiar because it's also found in the beginning of the closing paragraphs of Slichos, which we just recited for over a month. Right? And on, on, um, on Yom Kippur, also, we have a Laman Amitach. We have it, and we're talking about, um, right, there's Laman Amitach, Laman Brisach, Laman Gadlach, Lesefartach, 
Right, so all the different expressions of, of describing Hashem, all the, and, and these are all about the, the, the goodness of Hashem and how Hashem should do for us. Hoshana, save us, l'ma'anamitach, for the, for, the, for the sake of your truth. Now, this particular um, round of Hoshana apparently corresponds to Avraham, who is the Midas Chesed. Right, Avraham represents the, the attribute of, of loving kindness, and this also... Um, relates to the Ushbizen, right? That's some of the Minog of saying the Ushbizen. Right? It's a question of do you go in the chronological order, do you go in the Sphira or the Kabbalistic order? But the Ushbizen, the different guests that accompany us into the Sukkah that we host in our Sukkah, all the different days of Sukkahs. So the first of which is Avraham Avinu. Then the second day we have Evan Shesia. Where we, which literally means the foundation stone, or it's translated in art scroll that way. And we have different references to Yerushalayim, all the different nicknames for Yerushalayim. And we're saying, for the sake of Yerushalayim, you should save us. Right? And this corresponds apparently to Yitzchak. And if you think about Yitzchak being the pillar of the Avodah, the center of Avodah is in Yerushalayim, in the Beis HaMikdash. And of course, Yitzchak was literally the object of Avodah at the Akedah. So... With, with that, we can understand how this corresponds to Yitzchak. But the, so the first, again, the first day talks about the different attributes of Hashem. The second day is talks about Yerushalayim. Then the third, we have Om Ani Choma, which literally means the nation that says I am a wall, or the nation that is that, the nation that represents I am a wall. So we have different nicknames here for the Bnei Yisrael. And the theme of this, the, the third round of Hoshanos is Am Yisrael's relationship with Hashem. Now, the fact that we are the nation of Israel comes from the fact that we are the, the offspring of Yaakov Avinu, whose name became Yisrael. And here, um, so this, this one corresponds to Yaakov Avinu. And we have different um, nicknames for the Bnei Yisrael. For the fourth one, we have Adon HaMoshiach, which literally means Master, the Savior. And the theme of this fourth round is just about the Yeshua Hashem, the salvation of Hashem. High concentration on just salvation, which apparently somehow corresponds to Moshe Rabbeinu, who is, the, is, the, um, is represented by the Midah of Neitzach, which we spoke about. Um, a lot of this we spoke about in the Sphira series way back when. But the idea here of the eternality of Hashem, it's in Schus of that eternality that we can have faith and trust in the fact that Hashem will save us. And as things get a little bit more dubious, for the fifth round, we have Adam Uvehema, man and animal. And the, the theme of this round of Hoshanos is different creatures, different kinds of creations. And this apparently corresponds to Aaron Cohen, whose Mida was Hod. And Hod apparently represents a certain kind of humility, a splendor that's, that's radiated by humility. And when we think about being Maver Almidosav, you know, having mercy on all kinds of creations, no matter... How um, no matter what their intellectual or spiritual level is, so that's something that maybe um, is um, reflected by Hod. Then, um, then the sixth round we have Adama Me Erer, which means the ground from curse. Here we start getting closer to the agricultural theme, right? We haven't been explicitly talking about rain in the Hoshanos yet, but we're going in that direction because here we talk about the world's bounty. And this corresponds to Yosef at Tzadik. Right, Yosef at Tzadik, we know the Pasuk that Tzadik Yisod Olam. Right, Yosef represents Yisod, the foundation. And Yosef was a major provider of bounty when he was in Mitzrayim. It was all Al Yidei Hashem, 
right, all through the hands of Hashem, but Yosef represents the Heshtadlus that corresponds to the world's bounty, which is something that we're really thinking about Sukkot's time, especially when we're, we're thinking about without explicitly mentioning the water. Right, so then, so that's that's um, um, the sixth round. In the seventh round, we have a very strange one. Laman Esan Hanizrak for the sake of the mighty who was thrown into a flame of fire. So that's describing Avram Avinu. But this particular round of of Hoshanos has the refrain of the word Esh, and it goes through history of the different descriptions of 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 people from our history who had some connection to fire. So with Yitzchak, I believe it talks about the Akedah. With Yaakov, it talks about how he uh, wrestled with the fiery angel. And it goes through all the, the, the different uh, figures, right? It's very similar to the Misha Ana Tefillah that we say in Selichos as well, uh, where we go through history talking about the different individuals. Now, it's interesting that while we're thinking about rain, here we're talking about fire, right? So why would we do that now? So you might say that, you know, um, rain comes from Shemayim, and Shemayim we know from the Midrashim is a composite of, of Eish and Mayim. And maybe somehow the water represents the Midas HaChesed, and maybe the fire represents the Midas Hadin. And maybe by talking about fire, we're kind of trying to reverse the Midas Hadin, or appeal to the Midas Hadin, and somehow allow that, that Hashem should make way for the Mayim to come down. But this round of... Hoshanus, which ostensibly corresponds to David HaMelech, represents Malchus, and Malchus really represents the reflection of all of the other um, Midos that we described. So, altogether, we have this, you know, this panorama, um, believe it or not, of, of not only Jewish history, but the different kinds of things we're praying for in the Sklusav. And that's just the seven of Hoshana Rabbah, some of which are said during the week of Sukkot. There are a couple of others that are not, um, that, that don't make it to Hoshana Rabbah davening. Um, for example, there's Eroch Shui, which means I shall arrange my prayer. And the theme of this round of Hoshanas, which is, again, it's, it's only on Chol Moed, um, but it's about just different expressions of heartfelt prayer. So it's pretty generic, but at the same time, it's also very intimate because there are very intimate expressions of tefillah that are evoked there. And the other one is Kael Lamoshaos, which literally means God brings salvations, the theme of which is about an appeal for salvation and the, the Geula of Mashiach. So that's also pretty generic, but also pretty necessary. And of course, there's the Shabbos Hoshana, which is very different. Om Nitzurah Kivavas, the nation that's guarded like the pupil of an eye. And the theme here for the Shabbos one is Am Yisrael's Shmir Shabbos, or our Shabbos observance. It's very similar to the Royakra, right? Where you say, V'yin Sarchem Kimovavas, Shavu V'nuchu B'yom Shabbos. That Hashem guides, like the people of His eye, those who, who um, you know, Hashem guards those who guard His Shabbos. Right? If we keep Shabbos, the Shabbos keeps us. And we know that for the Shabbos Hoshana, we don't encircle the Mizbeach, because we're not holding the Lulav and the Esrog. We put the Lulav and the Esrog down. And whatever is not being provided by the Lulav and Esrog is being supplemented for by Shabbos. It's similarly with the, with the shofar. Right? You know, the shofar, which is normally meant to counteract the satan, um, right? which is one of the uh, symbolisms of the shofar, and there are various explanations as to what that means, but when it's Shabbos and we don't blow the shofar, Shabbos protects us from the satan, perhaps on Rosh Hashanah. So a similar thing could be said for the lulav and the esrog, which also actually represent a response to the satan. Right? Midrashim also talk about how the shofar and uh, how the, sorry, the lulav and the esrog 
represent our weapons, as it were, our victory weapons. We, we march off the battlefield against the Satan, showing Hashem and everyone, really the nations of the world, that we were victorious. And so when we put those down, so um, we're, we're still not in harm's way because there's shops. But what we see here from all of these, and hopefully we have a better understanding of, is again, once again, what we're trying to uh, accomplish with the Dalad Minim. When we hold the Dalad Minim, there's an aspect of celebration, lifnei Hashem. It's thanking Hashem, but it's also asking, please Hashem. Um, the idea being that we somehow are able to get closer to Hashem, have increased awareness of Hashem in the world when we say both thank you Hashem and please Hashem, knowing what it is that we're looking for and asking for. In this case, natural salvation for the coming year, and also, as we get closer to the rainy season, when naturally Hashem is supposed to give us rain, we don't just say, oh yeah, it's up to nature, nature will give us rain. No, we acknowledge that all of agriculture, all of nature comes from Hashem as we segue into the natural life. It's, it's, it's specifically when it's supposed to be the rainy season that we don't just assume it's going to happen, but we ask Hashem that it should come from Him, it should be rain of bracha, Water of bracha, and we don't forget also that when we celebrate water, there's Ein Mayim Torah, so we're celebrating Torah as well, which is brought out through Simchas Torah, talked about so much of the symbolism of all of these different things, and we were able, hopefully, to understand it al Pshat. And with this, we don't really need to feel awkward anymore, and without ability to answer when someone asks us, what exactly are we doing with, with the palm tree and the lemon? But we are able to explain that its religious significance um, emerges from our appreciation of God's providing for us in even the natural means, even the agriculture of the world. When we're having faith in Hashem, when we go into our sikos, realizing that He's the one that's in charge of everything that we have, He provides everything for us. And so we shake it around as a prayer, recognizing that Hashem is in charge. We, we celebrate before Hashem with them, and we say thank you. We pray before Hashem with them, and we say please for, for, for more salvations, for more providence in the future. And with this in mind, we should be able to have a Chag Sameach, a wonderful Yom Tov, a good Kvitl, Piskatova, and everything best. Thank you for joining us here at... Hoshana Panorama, and thank you for joining us at the database.